0: you're listening to the 27 a podcast series from the new european to support our journalism you can subscribe at theneweuropean.co.uk slash subscribe this
1: is Greeny mrcc Greeny mrcc Greeny mrcc 15 men overboard approximately 15 men overboard
0: On the night between November 23rd and November 24th, 33 people were trying to stay alive in the English Channel. They were in a tiny inflatable, too many of them, and it was deflating. They called for help, over and over again, but nobody came to help them. By morning, they were dead. This was the worst tragedy of its kind. And it took place in one of the world's busiest shipping routes between two of the world's richest countries. In the days that followed, we learned more about the people who died, men, women, and a young child, but their stories
1: were soon eclipsed. First, there was a political row over who was responsible for the deaths. Then the story faded away to be overtaken by government scandals and the coronavirus pandemic. The New European has spent a month retracing the journeys of some of those who perished. Where did they come from? Why did they leave? What drew them to Britain? And why did they have to die when the ships that could have saved their lives were so close? In this three-part series, we tell their stories because they deserve to be told. And we ask what can be done to fix a system that's so inhumane?
0: The dinghy um, ha- was described as a paddling pool by um, some a French official after it was found. And um, it was about 10, me- ten meters long. Um, Tuana, who spoke to Zana around the time they were leaving, he seemed to think that this dinghy could accommodate 45, 45 people. So he felt actually this young 18 year old Felt optimistic because he counted 33 people on board. Now, other people have said this dinghy should only accommodate 20. Um, people and essentially, um, what these are are they're very flimsy inflatables that are often hidden in the dunes on the northern coast of France. So, basically, what happens is all the people who are going on the dinghy get together, they get to the beach. Sometimes they're bussed to the beaches, sometimes they make their own way. The dinghy I've read stories of the dinghies being actually in carpet boxes. So, when the uh, people get to the beach that is when they pump up the dinghy because they keep everything hidden in case of police patrols. So at the last minute they pump it up and then it is dragged to the waves by the, by the people who are traveling um, and, and, and off it goes. These, these dinghies also, uh, you can buy them in um, you know, sports stores and although you know, the narrative of the smugglers with the dinghies, that is true, but there are also, to complicate the issues, stories of groups of people perhaps who know each other traveling to the north of France and, There is nothing to stop them either from buying, you know, a dinghy, a couple of hundred euros and trying to make their own way. So this the story of how people get into the dinghies and these boats and where they come from is yet another complicated element. But for the one that Tawana and his friends found themselves in, it was described as a paddling pool and was obviously... Not in any way shipshape ship shape for crossing the channel on that night. And of course, it proved that way as it began to deflate. And then also the pump was defective, the one that they brought with them. The picture um, that circulated widely after the disaster of the submerged dinghy, I mean, you wouldn't take it on a a, a swimming pool. It looks completely unsuitable for, for what it was meant to do.
1: So Maryam, um, Nuri Mohammed Amin, she was nicknamed Baran, which means rain in Kurdish. She was engaged to be married to um, a man called Karzan, who's a barber who lives in Britain and he has British citizenship. Um, she wanted to come to live with him um, or to see him at least. They were engaged last January. There's a photo in the papers. She's um, wearing a lavender dress with a tiara, looking very happy. Carzan um, he's holding on some pink flowers um, yeah when i when I was talking about this with my friends afterwards they looked at the picture and said, why was she here? She doesn't look like a typical refugee um, but that guess is the point that none of them are. so she had secured a Schengen visa to um, many European, European countries European Union countries so she could then have free movement within those countries, which meant that she could tr- fly from to Istanbul, to Italy, just a normal journey, and then she was able to just travel freely to go to Germany, then to France, um, and she th- she seems to have made a, a, a late decision to travel across the Channel, but she thought originally that she could get a British visa, like she got a Schengen visa, she must have done, and so um, We're not exactly sure what step she took, but she did try a few times. Someone said she also went to the British embassy, but um, for whatever reason, she tried several times and she was not able to get a British visa. Um, And there were delays, uh, her family said. So she decided just to see how far she could get um, across Europe.
0: I think, um, for example, um, uh, Per Hazal, uh, the 46-year-old mother of Hadiya, Uh, moving in Um, their journey, the totality cost around £50,000 and they sold, uh, Rishgar sold their house to pay for it. Chawana's father also put his house up as collateral to cover a cost of around £20,000. The crossing across the channel is usually around 2,000, I think Twan and his friends um, spent just over 2,000 pounds each to get across the channel. Um, It depends on the smugglers' rates, I suppose. Um, We've seen, um, we've heard that uh, Muslim's father said he was sold on to other smugglers because the smugglers he initially contracted didn't have enough people to put in the boat that night, so they passed him on to another group um what is quite incredible is the um the way that these, they, these um, networks are established and their presence in Kurdistan, where travel agencies essentially are often run by people who have direct contact with the smugglers in northern France. So what happens is the family will deposit the money that they get from, you know, selling their goods or their houses, and they will put a deposit there with the travel agency. The travel agency then often calls, makes contact with the smugglers and arranges various parts of so the journey. When that part of the journey is completed, the money is released to the smuggler. Um, so it's, it's, it's quite organized and, and very embedded in the society. And these are a huge sums of money. Um, so again, the people who are making it to the north of France are not people who had nothing I mean they had to have some sort of wealth or you know inherent in the bricks and mortar of their lives to be able to get that far and they put all of that on the line for these for these journeys. Things have been going well until the early hours of the morning when the boat started to deflate as far as we understand it was the right side of the boat that began to deflate so People started to bail out the water. Others started to try and use the pump, um, and much of this we know from the survivor Muhammad Cheka, who told who told the story afterwards. However, the pump was defective. Now, at this stage, it seems that people were not yet panicking. As I said they'd done this journey before. So they would have thought, well, we will get rescued. And they probably thought that would happen before anything worse happened. Twana was still in contact with his brother Zana and also with his sister, Kale. But he was reassuring them and saying, no, don't worry, you know, it is uh, it's deflating a bit, but, you know, you probably should go to sleep because it's going to be a long night and I'll call you when I get there. Um, but then the engine stops and this happens around 2.30 in the morning and things go badly wrong after that because it only takes about 30 minutes for, for, um, the boat to sink. However, in the meantime, they have been making calls. So we know that some people were calling the French authorities and some people were calling the English authorities. And again, as I said, people who have made this journey several times before and have mobile phones will have those numbers because they've done it before. So we know that calls were made to both sides. From what we understand from Mohammed Sheikh's account, the French said that the boat was in British waters and therefore they should call the British. They they called the British who told them to turn on the torches of their phones so they could be located. Now I believe that they did do that but nobody came. And the British also allegedly told them that they were also in, in French waters. I mean, there seems to have been a bit of um, passing the book at this stage. Um, and then the boat sank, but they clung on. And what we don't know is what happened in between those hours of around about three o'clock in the morning and nine o'clock the next morning when the bodies were found. and they must have tried to survive as long as they could we know that there were boats ships french navy ships in the in the vicinity but obviously it would be very hard to detect a small dinghy in in the sea at that point however what what is not completely clear is why nobody was able with the calls that had been made to find the dinghy um, and it has also been pointed out by some activists that it doesn't really matter whether they were in British or French waters. There is an obligation on maritime services to save people in distress at that, in that kind of situation. You're listening to The 27, a podcast series from The New European. To support our journalism, you can subscribe at theneweuropean.co.uk slash subscribe.
1: And I think that's actually behind some of the talk court cases um, that's going on that are going on because uh, at the moment there's a legal action in Britain and in France over the um, rescue that never happened in a sense in um, Britain you've got um, solicitors um, asking for first of all for an inquiry about what happened that night you know was there a failure were there serious um, mistakes emissions they want to have that inquiry so that the families can find out what happened you know if then it turns out that there was some culpability in then is this does this get referred to the police um, and they also of course they don't want this to happen again that is they want to find the problems that meant that in that busy stretch of water with um, people calling both sides all the time why no one came to rescue them in France the laws a bit different they can have a more aggressive um, court case. So they're actually suing um, the Coast Guards and other authorities for um, involuntary homicide um, and neglecting to rescue. Um, So because there's so much unknown, we have to wait to see. But um, I think at this kind of time, the British government should be uh, responding. There are a few families involved in this, and they're quite determined to get to the bottom of it.
0: It's, it's. I guess it's notable the Home Office denied that they failed to respond to the just distress calls and they said that on the day of the tragedy they received more than 90 alerts in the channel and that they responded and acted on all of them. Um, Dan O'Mahony, who is the Home Office's clandestine channel threat commander, spoke to a parliamentary committee just about eight days or a week or so after the disaster happened and said it may never be possible to say with absolute accuracy whether the boat was in UK waters or French waters and he said it might not be they might not be able to determine either whether they definitely received a call from the sinking dinghy I know that for example the French authorities had denied that they received any distress calls from that particular boat however the French newspaper Le Monde has said that it has a source Um, within the judiciary who says that, yes, those phone calls were made and they have been logged. One of the issues is um, that um, many of the migrants would have thrown away or many of the people traveling would have thrown away their phones um, perhaps early on also because they worry that the phones could be used against them later and that they might find numbers that would somehow lead to them being incriminated as smugglers so there is that whole issue around it as well but in terms of you know whose responsibility it was to rescue these people it would seem that in some ways the authorities are both playing a blame game but also teeing it up to say we'll never know because we won't be able to accurately say exactly where the boat was when it went down.
1: Yes, absolutely. And the point, I guess, I mean, one of the poignant things about it is that later reports showed, and this is what um, Zana has been talking about, that quite a few of them seemed to die of kidney failure. Their organs started to pack in um, because of the amount of time they had to spend in the cold water. I mean, I'm no expert, but I used to, I was trained as a lifeguard, I worked as a volunteer lifeguard. And one of the things we were told was it's probably gonna be the cold that's gonna get them. It's the hypothermia, it's the effect of the cold on the body rather than the drowning. And it seems like this is what happened to them. And had the rescue, had the people come a bit earlier, they might've saved them. These people didn't just go into the water, swallow it and just drown. They were there for a long time, um, slowly, their insides were closing up.
0: That is the tragedy. And even the next day, I mean, we have reports of another boat of people trying to get to the UK, also spotting the bodies at 9 a.m. But the May Day does not go out until around uh, 2 p.m. that afternoon. So again, um, these people have been left. There is no rush there is no concern and it just seems like such an affront because we're not talking about the Mediterranean here, we're talking about a body of water that is 34 kilometers wide at its narrowest but is also incredibly busy and with the full resources of two, you know, the coast guards of two rich countries on either side. And one of the points made by Utopia 56, which is the uh, charity uh, bringing the legal case in France, is that they are concerned that the the people would have been rescued were they not seen to be people trying to get illegally to the UK. Around 2.30 a.m., the engine breaks down Twana calls his sister in Sheffield and tells her about this new setback. He is still calm though and says the broken motor is no big deal. But he asks her not to call him back because they have been told by the British Coast Guard to turn on their phone lights. Someone's bound to be coming, he says. She might as well go to sleep. He'll be in touch when he gets to England. But now disaster strikes. The deflating boat sinks in 30 frantic minutes and its passengers slide into the icy waters of the channel. At around this time, friends Sirwan and Shakar message Sirwan's father, Bakr Alipur, who's waiting anxiously for news in Iran. The audio message sent at 2.42 AM UK time, 3.42 French time, is the last message
1: anyone will receive from the boat. Honest to God, we are in British and French waters. We don't know which one of them's coming to rescue us. I'm throwing away my mobile. If you don't hear from me, that means we're in Britain. And if I return to France, then I'll call you myself, Shakar says. In the background, people can be heard whistling as they try to attract attention. It is impossible to imagine the agony of the following hours as limbs tire and hearts fail and kidneys begin to shut down. Survivor Shekar later tells his version of what happened from the moment the boat first started to deflate. Some passengers try to pump air back into the balloons on the right side of the boat, but the pump is defective. They call the French and send them their location, but they're told they should contact the British as they're in British waters, that the French boats can't come to rescue them. So they call the British, but still no one comes. People start to lose hope. The waves begin pushing them back towards France, And then the boat goes down. Everyone sinks into the waves and holds hands as they wait for the rescue that will never come.
0: At least three of the young men who placed their lives on the line to complete this perilous journey together are missing. Tuana, Zanyar and Shtiwan. More than two months later, at the time of recording this podcast, their bodies have still not been found. You're listening to The 27, a podcast series from The New European. To support our journalism, you can subscribe at theneweuropean.co.uk slash subscribe. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.